You're listening to Interviews, the podcast that cracks the entrepreneurship code. I'm your host, Laurent Autain. I'm an entrepreneur, coach to entrepreneurs, and startup mentor with more than 20 years' experience running companies and advising entrepreneurs. Being an entrepreneur is the most difficult job there is. There are no practical guidelines. So join me every week and learn how you can better navigate your entrepreneurship journey and become an exceptional entrepreneur. This is episode 123. My guest is Alex Nest, founder of Hostage Tape. Alex is a former American football professional. He used to play in the Arena Football League as a quarterback. He's also been a football coach since he graduated college. But his life after football is what interests me the most because it includes founding two companies one of which he exited. And our stage tape is Alex's new adventure. Their specialty, mouth tape, that will help you sleep or train better. I'm an oxygen advantage instructor. Basically, I'm able to teach the fundamentals of proper breathing. So I can tell you this isn't a scam. Mouth tape does work. It can fix bad sleep, low energy, and stress for thousands of people. Basically, it forces you to breathe through your nose while you sleep, for example. Why? Because the nose was designed for you to breathe, not your mouth. And Alex, I'm sure we'll tell you more about it. So, just before that, we started the interview. Alex told me that he has just finished the first year of operation. And he has already made more and more revenue than his first company. <laughs> we did, so, yeah, absolutely. Alex, let tell us about about it, please. Yeah, so so I'm an entrepreneur by trade. Like I love building businesses and building things, and so I think my first love was football. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned in the that wonderful intro, I was a I was a football player, an American football player, I was a quarterback, and and you can see I've got some jerseys behind me here. So that was my first love. And I grew up as a kid watching guys like Joe Montana, you know, and I wanted to be this amazing player, go out, run in front of 25, 50,000 people. And I ended up playing college football and then going off and playing arena football. But it was through that journey. I didn't, I didn't become the pro that I wanted to become that I knew that, okay, I needed to pivot. I needed to find another Avenue. And so I used, my experience as a player and as a coach to create my first business. And that first business was a, was a sports video analytics company. And it was a company that I just used what I knew. And, and that, that's a key here. Like when I, when I build things, when I start businesses, an important thing for me was always, I'm going to build things that I'm really passionate about because it's not going to feel like work. I get up, I'm a guy who, I'm going to put everything I've got into it and I'm going to work my butt off and I'm going to work harder than anybody else, but it's got to be something that I love. And so I always pick these things that I'm really passionate about that are really close to me. And so the first one just happened to be sports, right? Happened to be analytics. And so I built that for, I bootstrapped that actually with my brother. So we were a family business, which again, breaks all those rules of like, they always tell you, don't start a business with friends and family. <laughs> and I ended up starting it with my, my older brother. He was the technical side and I was the business side. 
And that was one of those kind of businesses where you start it and you just, you fail and you learn, you fail and you learn. And I failed for probably six, seven, eight years mm -hmm. and grew it and built it for 16 years. And mm -hmm. so it was in operation for a long time. And I think that's also something too, right? A lot of people who start businesses usually don't, they don't make it past the first couple of years. And so we were fortunate enough to make it 16 years bootstrapped. We didn't raise any funding. And uh, and then we later sold it. We sold it to a company in, in Israel. And that was an amazing journey in itself, mm -hmm. right? The 16-year journey of, of learning so many things that you do wrong that then you can now apply to uh, another opportunity. And that's really what I've done now is so once I, once we sold that company and, um, you know, you, you sell a company, you exit, you've got vesting terms. So we, we had to stay there for two years to vest mm -hmm. out the equity and all that stuff. So we did that. And then I left and it was at the tail end of that, that business or that, that time that I knew, okay, I needed to start thinking about what was my next move because you ask most founders when they build a company and they sell it and then they have to spend their time in that company. Yeah. They hate it. Yeah. I, I did not like it. I hated <laughs> it because you're a founder. You're somebody who you build something and you don't like to be told what to do. Yeah. You like to call the shots. You like to control your destiny. And that's just who I am. I'm, I'm somebody who, I like to make the decisions and take my vision and make it happen. And so when you become part of the, another company, now you're not the one calling shots anymore mm. and you've got somebody to report to and to tell you what to do. And that's really difficult for us entrepreneurs. We don't like that. <laughs> no, so that was hard. So I knew, <laughs> I knew, all right, I, I'm going to get out. And when I get out, what am I going to do? And so it was during that time that I had discovered the whole concept of mouth breathing and mouth taping, mm. because I was going through my own personal journey of some personal um, things that I was growing and, and going through. So when that started to, to develop, I just knew I had a gut feeling that, okay, this is something, this is something big. It's changed my life. Most people who mouth tape, as you know, as an oxygen advantage, coach when you discover something like this that it's harmed you for so many years it's life-changing and you just want to like tell everybody about it and then everybody thinks you're crazy because you're mouth taping right so i just knew though that there was something here with this business that was so personal to me changed my life so simple so easy so small so non-invasive that this was it and, but, but I knew too that, yeah, it's in many ways, it's, we're talking about tape. We're talking about a commodity, right? Mm -hmm. You have to take it and you have to basically market it in a really ingenious way. Right. Cause really like, I love listening to, to a lot of different business podcasts and, um, Moiz Ali, he's a, he's a great one that I love listening to. And Moiz Ali was the founder of native deodorant famous epic story of how he started this deodorant really like 
out of nowhere. He's not an expert in deodorant, started it, and then he ended up selling it to Procter & Gamble. But he said something that really resonated with me uh, when I was starting this company was that you can take any commodity, you can take anything, but if you market it just right, then you've got something. You can make an amazing brand out of it, an amazing business out of it, right? And so that was kind of just when I knew like, okay, I can take this and we could market it in a really great way, really mm -hmm. ingenious way. And at the time, I was also learning about liquid death, right? And I loved liquid death, the way that they they took this concept of water and they just marketed it in a different, interesting way that just got your attention. So that's what we did with it. We just marketed it, did a different spin on it. And so we launched that in March of last year. And now we're 12 months in. We just finished our first official year of selling the product. And it's funny, as you mentioned, uh, we talked pre-interview that. So in this business that I've launched in 12 months, we have leapfrogged and done more revenue in 12 months than it took me to do in the first business in about six, seven years. Yeah. How and do you feel about that? <laughs> it feels it feels amazing. Right. It feels amazing that you can take anything from nothing and start it yeah. and do as well as we've done. But I, I really attribute it to, I think, a couple of things. One of them, it's there's certainly luck involved. There's luck in that you have to find the right product, the right time, find product market fit, and then just put all those things together. And then you set it off into the world and then you hope it lands. Mm. And we, so we got lucky with certainly this, just all of those things timed just right. And we did it good. We did it well, but also I attribute it to all the, the stuff I failed at from the first business, right? There was mm -hmm. so many things that I learned from starting and failing in the first business. And then being acquired, I'll tell you, as, as painful as it was to get acquired by a larger company and then you you go into that larger corporate umbrella, there's a lot of things you learned mm -hmm. that you go, okay, there's big corporate structure, there's politics, there's all these things that they have in place that you learn, you go, okay, I need to learn this so that when I start my next one, it gets even bigger. Now I know how to handle this situation, that situation, and this. And I also know how I don't want to be. I also know as a as a CEO and a and a, a founder of a, a company that's going to be pretty big at some point here soon, I know how I don't want to be as a leader, right? Yeah. To my my employees and to my team. Do you remember so, any any particular things? I think that there's a there's certainly a a particular kind of culture, a company culture that yeah. that I like to when I hire people on our company now, there's a particular kind of person that I look for that I don't want to hire anybody that doesn't fit that because if, you know, if you get the wrong person in, it's, it's a virus, right? And then they start to spread just negativity and just awful toxicness that it's hard to get rid of. And then mm. it, it just kind of spreads. And so you want to be really careful, especially early on. So I wanted to make sure that as I continue to grow my team early here, these are crucial hires that I'm going to hire the right people that fit exactly the kind of culture 
that I want this company to have so we can continue to scale and grow and, and just, you know, be fun and exciting and, and optimistic and just all those great things. Uh, and also I think just making sure one of the things I've always been big on is making sure that, you know, as a leader, you have to, you have to serve your, your, your people. You have to make sure that your people have what they need to do their job. It's not about me telling my workers what to do. And I think that's where a lot of older old school management falls, old school management. A lot of those, a lot of those guys, they, they just want to sit on their perch and just tell their employees what to do. And they just want people to listen to them. And then a lot of these guys haven't actually done it. They just get, they get hired in a position to, to manage people, but they mm -hmm. don't really even know what they're managing. Right. And it's kind of like attributing, like if you think about it in a sports situation, a lot of times, some of the best coaches, they make coaches who played. They were, they were coaches who played the position for their entire life. And then they become a coach and they know how to coach that position or coach that team. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of executives and leadership nowadays haven't, they get put in positions where they didn't actually do the role. They didn't actually build a company and do all these things. Yeah. And so they're, they're managing and they're leading outside of their depth. And that was one thing that, that you see when you get into big companies now. Right. And then you, you get put under people who they don't know what they're doing. Mm. They don't know how they're doing it, why they're doing it. And so then when you try to speak up and say, no, this isn't right. We need to be doing it this way. And this is why. And then you get conflict. Yeah. Right. It's it's interesting what you're what you're saying, because in my experience, what I see, I agree with you. What I see is that companies tend to put uh, uh, leaders into place based on their technical skills rather mm -hmm. than their human human skills. Well, let's take a, an example. A sales manager will be yeah. recruited on how good he is at sales. And usually it's the best, the, the best salesperson who is promoted as a sales manager. But yeah. that doesn't mean that he's a manager. That's a good point, <laughs> right? Yeah, no. Look, so so you, you bring up a really good point that you're right. A lot of times those best sales guys don't make great VP of sales. No. You know, a lot of those great people at their job don't make great leaders. So certainly kind of contradicts what I said, sort of in a way. Um. But yeah, you definitely have to have those personal skills, that that empathy to be able to really truly understand your people. Mm -hmm. But I, but that's what I think as a leader, it's it's I've I've been in the trenches and I've done all these roles. And when I start a company, I'm the one doing all these things. So then when I get to a point where now I'm building this team, I'm not asking anybody to do anything that I wouldn't do and haven't mm -hmm. already done. That, that's certainly a difference too in, in the companies that I build. And I also understand those roles really, really well. So when I hire these people and I train them, I know exactly why something needs to be done a certain way. And and then I'll I'll coach people to a point and then I want to let them go and then just delegate. And I don't want to hover over them. Mm -hmm. I want to then provide them everything that they need, which I think again is, is an issue that we have in, companies it's they don't they don't look at it as what can i give you to do your job how can i help you do your job what do you need from me right just yeah. i'm just here to help you 
if there's something you need, something that has to be pushed through, has to be resources given to you, whatever that is. So that's what I try to do as I grow the team is I want to get them to the point where, okay, then I can let them go, let them do their role that they're hired to do. And then let them know that I'm here. What do you need? How can I help you do your job? Is it the secret to scale fast? Because you've been making revenue from day one. In right. one year, you've done more revenue than your previous company. Uh, your, uh, your forecasts are, look really, really good. So you're yeah. going to keep on going, going. That's a great problem to have. But still, it's not easy to scale that quickly. How do you do that? I would say, so are you asking what's the secret to scaling? Yes. <laughs> well, I think I think you have to have product market fit, number one. Yeah. Like if you're going to scale, you actually have to have a good product. Hmm. Uh, now, certainly you can scale and have a bad product, but you probably have a lot of capital behind you to do hmm. that. So then you're you're forcing the issue. You're forcing maybe user acquisition that might be a little bit more costly and maybe you have a ton of churn, but because you have all this capital, you feel like you can overcome the churn by just a longer runway. Yeah. And so for us, we're completely bootstrapped. So I'm didn't raise any funding. I don't plan on raising any funding. So I have to balance that. I have to balance. Okay. I have X amount of capital that I know I need to be able to scale right on this tip of, on this kind of a runway. And then I'm going to spend X amount of dollars on user acquisition. So where is my kind of middle ground on how I can do that? Because certainly, yes, I want to keep increasing my top line revenue, but I've also have to have some sort of profitability. Otherwise I don't have any, I don't have enough cash flow, right. To continue to scale. So there's that balance. And I think in order for an operation like ours, to really truly be able to scale like we've done, it's because you have product market fit. Because then now your churn is not so bad. Now there's always going to be like I think churn early on on a new product. Um, but as your churn, if you're showing that your churn is getting lower and lower and lower, and you're getting repurchase rates even better as you go, which is you know what we're seeing, our churn is continuing to drop and our repurchase rate is continuing to increase. Mm -hmm. And then that starts to stack and then exponentially get bigger and bigger, especially a product like ours, which is a, a single use product that you're going to use every day. And it's something you'll use, you know, every day, hopefully for the foreseeable future mm. that it's easy for a product like ours to stack and stack and stack and then exponentially start to really take off, which is what's happened. But product market fit and then definitely you got to understand your numbers, right? I think, I think. Too many people don't truly understand, like when they start a business, you really truly got to understand your CAC, your LTV. Um, but like for me, those are my biggest things. I'm, I'm, I'm truly understanding and I'm in my, like whenever I start a business, I've got a, a working p and I'm kind of a numbers nerd. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't maybe look like it being mm -hmm. a former athlete, but I love looking at my p and I create that and then I use that to make my decisions. And so it's, it's always, it's always, it's that dynamic. I'm always yeah. changing things, adjusting things. And then that helps me make decisions on, okay, this is how much product I need to forecast and order for. And then this is how, what I need to hire, how I need to adjust 
how much money I'm spending in Facebook this month versus Google or TikTok and all these different things, right? And so I am a complete student of those numbers, mm. what my CAC is, what my LTV is, how my cash position looks. Mm. So I know how I can continue to take that cash and reinvest it and keep everything running. Yeah. Thank you for saying that because I keep on saying it. Entrepreneurs, please, please learn financial management. You don't need to be accountants. We don't, bookkeeping is another thing, but you have to learn financial management. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And so that brings me to my other favorite topic, uh, which is health and well-being. And too many entrepreneurs don't take care of themselves. And that's really something every time I have the occasion to talk about with a guest, <laughs> I'll jump. I'll jump on the occasion, and with you, man, let's talk about it. <laughs> Absolutely, I've got a great story about that too. All right, a... okay, let's go. Yeah, <laughs> so, okay, so obviously for me, I was a I was an athlete my entire life. Yes. Okay, so your typical story of you played. I played college ball. I played pro ball, and I was a I was a quarterback. I was always in amazing shape. Okay. Mm. I retired in 2007. All of a sudden, any athlete goes through this. When you retire, you lose yourself. Mm. Okay. So I lost myself. I didn't know who I was anymore because your whole life was this other entity. It was this athlete. That's who you were. And you're burning all these calories all the time. You're always moving around. You just have this identity that you, it's your religion in many ways. And then when you lose that, you lose yourself. You don't know who you are. And I lost myself. And I had our first child, my son, Rex. So then all of a sudden you become a dad. I'm not an athlete anymore. And the dad weight starts piling on. So I was now sitting at my desk starting the first company. And I was starting to just pile on the weight because I wasn't as active. And I was still figuring myself out as a new entrepreneur. So I wasn't running around. I wasn't working out like I used to. You kind of lose that when you're an athlete and you're in it and you're a gym rat. Like you just, you have that determination and drive. But then when you lose being an athlete, it's like that determination goes away and you don't, you don't think it's going to go away, but it does. And then you don't realize where did it go? Why don't I have the drive to get back in the gym again? I don't know. So. Weights started piling on, and I was never really huge on my what I would eat. I was very much a, I loved eating pizza, I loved eating burgers and fries, and I loved drinking soda and just all that stuff. Yeah. So as you start eating, drinking the sugar, your typical American diet, which is fast food and all that, and I'm not the athlete that I used to be. All of a sudden, I start to blow up. And so I started to pile on the weight. And I'm a, my playing weight, I was different. I was a, I was about 195 pound quarterback, but I was, I was pretty, I was pretty much pretty ripped. <laughs> yeah. I was a pretty, I was a pretty good, solid sized, you know, six foot, 195 pound quarterback, which is a, you know, decent size, not, not super tall, but pretty good size. So then when I stopped playing, my weight ballooned up to keep in mind, I lost some muscle. A lot of the yeah. muscle mass went away. Yeah. And then I ballooned up to like 215 pounds. Yeah. Okay. 
So my face started to get big, huge love handles. I just didn't, I didn't look like the same person anymore. And I, and now I'm a dad. So you've got your typical dad bod. So when I went through the next like 10 years, it was at the later point in the, the business, the first business of when I sold it, that I went, I got to make some changes. I just, I, I, I don't know who I am. I don't know what's going on. You feel like crap. You look like crap. And so I made a conscious decision to, to completely change my life, completely change it. So I went from to waking up at like 5 a.m. every day. I used to never really be a morning person. So I went to, all right, I'm going to change how I go to bed and wake up. So I wanted to make that consistent of getting to bed at like 10, 1030, and then waking up at 5 a.m. every day. And I started doing fasting. I started doing a 24-hour a fast. Mm. So fast for 20 hours, and then I would only eat within a four-hour window. And then I cut out all sugar and most carbohydrates, mm. most of them, as much as I could. And, and then I would start, I started to run. So I would do three, four or five miles every morning. And I, I got back in the gym, but my focus, you know, as you get older, I'm in my forties now, my focus isn't, I'm really building muscle anymore. It's just kind of maintaining and then also being functional. Mm -hmm. So I'm not as concerned with going into the gym and pushing around a bunch of weight around anymore. It's really more about, I'll go in and do pull push-ups and pull-ups and you know, some of the more body weight types things. So I started doing all that. And, and then I lost all that weight and I got down to, I'm a, I'm about a 9% body fat. So I've been a 9% body fat now, 175 pounds for the last five or so years. Well, that's 9% is really, really good. Wow. So, Impressive. well, and I, th I think for me, a huge a huge part of that was the fact that I, I fast. Yeah. I only eat once a day. And I tell you when you, when I started doing that, God, everybody thought I was crazy. Yes. I think, we, <laughs> especially, especially in America. Oh my God. We eat way too much food. There's way too much fast food available to us with soda and sugar everywhere. And just cutting all of that out, I think was a huge, a huge reason why I was able to get healthy again and get to where I am now. Mm. And so that's, that's interesting. Yeah. You went from being healthy, fit to less yeah. <laughs> to back you where you were. And at the same time, your business is also bigger than what it used to be. Do you see a relationship here between you being fit and the success you enjoy with your business? Well, I do. And here's why. Mm. So I can't remember who it was. Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts. And this is something else that I do too, is I listen to, I try to do a lot of, if I consume. So I look at, look at people in one of two ways. You're either producing or you're consuming. Mm. Right? I try to produce way more than I consume. But if I'm consuming, I consume things that help me 
that I'm learning from. So I'm not going to sit and consume just a bunch of fictional movies or TV shows. I would much rather like sit and consume. If I'm going to consume, I'm going to watch like maybe some documentaries or something that I'm actually learning something from. And so I listen to a lot of podcasts when I work out, when I run. So I'm like, I'm going for a five mile run, but I'm also listening to a business podcast on, you know, Facebook, Facebook marketing or, or ads or attribution or whatever it might be. So I'm learning something and I'm working out. And the, the idea that I've always held is I need to put myself first in everything that I do. I need to take care of myself. I need to put more work into myself and take care of myself as much as possible because then that increases my output, the ability for me to be able to produce and create even more. And I would absolutely say that there's a correlation there with what I may have been able to do with this next business. I do such a good job of taking care of myself now compared to what I used to be that I'm able to produce. I'm able to, to outwork. I'm able to do all the things I need to do to continue to build this into something really big. Thank you for, for saying that. It's, I think it's my next crusade. <laughs> Making sure that <laughs> helping entrepreneurs be, be more healthy. I think, you know what happens? I think entrepreneurs, what they do is they get so busy in their their work. Yeah. Because I mean, I'm a workaholic. Um, flat out, I'm a workaholic. But I also love what I do. And so I I bury myself in the work because I love it. But what we do... Our failure is in that we get buried in our work. We focus on it so much that then we lose ourselves. And then we don't take care of ourselves. We feel like I got to keep working. I got to keep working. I got to keep working. Well, if you're not taking care of yourself, then you can't keep working. You're not going to be able to work the way that you're, you're what you're doing. And so you have to time block. So I time block all of the things that I'm going to take care of myself. So I put it on my calendar that, all right, mm -hmm. from, you know, 5 a.m. to 9 a.m., I've got all these different things on my schedule that I'm, I do every day. Even though I know it, it's a routine, I still put it there as a visual reminder of these are all the things that I need to do. And I have to do all these things before I get into the office and I get to work because if I don't do these things, mm then I'm going to feel like crap and I'm not going to be able to work and, and continue to be successful in the business. And it's obvious when I, if I get busy and I'm not able to, to do something, do my routine, then I feel it. I absolutely yeah. feel it. And I'm sure the people around you feel it, feel it too. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> certainly, you know, as a, as a man of the house, you're the leader of the household. And so if I'm not leading in a good way, in a good energy, and everybody feels it for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll do the same. I start I start my weeks by putting my CrossFit workout yeah. every day. And then uh, I arrange my day around the CrossFit workout. Yeah. You know, something I do too. I don't know if you ever talk about this, but I do a lot of visualization. I visualize. So I'll tell you a quick story. Sure. Back when I was a player. I, I was doing this and I didn't even realize I was doing it, mm. but 
And I didn't realize the importance of it until now later when you hear people talk about all these professional athletes on how successful they are and they're visualizing. Yeah. And some people think it's crazy, but I would, I've been doing it since I was a player. So what I used to do was when I was a player, I would, I would study all the tape and I would take all my notes on everything I was seeing, all the defenses I was seeing, all the plays we were going to run. And then I would play the game in my head. So the whole week, there would be multiple times before the game on Saturday that I would just sit and I would visualize the play. I would play the game in my head and visualize making the throw, throwing the touchdown, doing all the things. So that way then when I got in the game, it was just, it was just natural. I didn't even mm. think about it. And I, I carry that into my everyday life now. So like right now, one of the the key things that I do, important part, I've got it on my calendar, is I do a sauna every morning. And is, that a fin- is that a Finnish one? Because I I've, I live in Finland. Watch out! It's not. <laughs> it's it's it is a a heat sauna. Yeah. I go to I go to Lifetime Fitness, which is a huge chain mm. here, and they've just got a, a one of those large heat saunas that you go in and you sit in. So I just go and I sit in there every morning. So getting a sauna in is really important for me. So when I sit in the sauna, I sit in there and then I visualize. Mm. And so I have these four or five things that I go through and I visualize for the next year. And so what I'm doing is I'm actually putting myself in where I want to go. So obviously I know where businesses are going to go. I know I haven't forecasted out, but it's all the other things around it too. So I'll, I go through this, this movie in my head of feeling it, actually seeing it, but feeling what it's like to actually be in those shoes, to go through those steps mm-hmm. of these are all the things of where I'm going to go, what we're going to accomplish and where we're going to be in a year. And I do that every single morning. And I think that's another important thing too, that along with your health is actually visualizing. Many might call it the law of attraction. You know, you're mm-hmm. actually visualizing what, what you want, you're feeling what you want. And then, then your brain is way more open and actually seeing all those things, you know, that you're connecting with, right? So uh, definitely a huge part. I love this conversation, man. But um, I need I need to wrap it up. <laughs> you got it. So, take all your experience and summarize it into one practical recommendation to other entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs. You can do anything you want. If you want it, you can do it. You just got to work really hard for it. That's what I would say, and I say that to my kids every mm. single day. I work really, really hard. Really hard. What do you mean? Really hard. <laughs> I work really hard. Most people don't know what hard work is, man. You got to work really, especially in America. I think we've gotten lazy. Mm. Our kids have gotten lazy. Mm. Not only it's only in America. <laughs> I, can't, I can't tell you. Well, I I can only speak for my country, right? <laughs> and so I would say my country, we've gotten lazy. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. Fair enough. Last question. How can people contact you? 
Yeah, people can, they can find us at Hostage Tape. So we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on YouTube, TikTok, uh, even on LinkedIn if you want to contact me directly, uh, Alex Neist. But yeah, you can find us pretty much on every social channel at Hostage Tape. Excellent. Thank you very much, Alex, for your time today. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thank you for listening. Interviews Cracking the Entrepreneurship Code is available on all your favorite podcast platforms. Subscribe now so you never miss any episode. See you next time. Bye for now.